0: Good evening. This year, Bezrat Hashem will be Leiluinishmat Ruven Ben Yosef and Leavdi Lefuat Yehuda Ben Chaya. The Israeli Minister of Immigration announced a few days ago that they reached a verbal agreement with the United States which will become official in February that all Israelis will be able to come to America without applying for visa. That's not such a good news. That's terrible news actually. That's really a sign that the end of our country is coming. That's really what's going to be. Because You have uh, hundreds of thousands of young people in Israel. When they finish the army, they don't really have what to do. Not everybody is interested to go to university and pay money and wait four or five years. So many of them, they come to work here in the United States in malls. But they come here as tourists and they stay here illegally. Once the visa expired, after three months or six months, whatever the immigration allows them, they stay here for a few years, and they work, and they make good money in the malls. All over the United States, there's thousands of thousands of malls, and in each mall you have different carts. Dead Sea product, cosmetics, Las Vegas is full of them. A few times I had a trip, like when I was in Vegas, you had uh, dozens, maybe hundreds, I don't remember how many, of people that work there in cosmetics in the malls, and the Dead Sea product. And then in every place you go. I once went to New Orleans. I had 125 boys and girls from one company. Uh, Probably, I assume, there's other companies. That means there are thousands of salespeople in every state. And that's giving the fact that 90% of them cannot get a visa to enter the United States. Because when you go to the embassy, that's before Corona. Before Corona... You go to the embassy for an interview, you have to supply to them a proof that you work, and you have a steady income, and you've been working for a while, and if you own an apartment, how much money you have in your bank account, they want to make sure you don't going to become another leech in America. It's very interesting, they bring in hundreds of thousands of Muslim refugees, they don't have this problem. There's millions of Mexicans enter this country illegally, without any documents, and they don't care about it, and they know it. The videos are all over, for they know that every day thousands of Mexicans crossing that little lake and coming in and do nothing about it. Trump was trying to do something, but they don't care about it. But, but in Israel, for, for decades, they really cared. They gave people hell. Most people, I'm speaking to them, I'm sorry, I cannot come to America. I tried three times already, they denied me. Why? Because I don't have a good job, I don't make good money, and they're afraid that I'll come to America and stay. Such stupidity, you know. Don't get me wrong, the United States should be strict by who they let go, include Israelis. I'm not saying that they should give Israelis any special treatment. I'm just saying why with one country you're so strict and with the other one you're so doesn't make sense. But for us, it was very good that they were strict. Because all these tens of thousands of Israelis who wanted to come here and stay, couldn't do it. And now, everybody will come here. Israel, in my opinion, would lose a million Jewish citizens in the next two, three years. They're all gonna come to America, families, everyone. And you know what's gonna happen. Israel will be left for the Arab Hamas. That's it. They're going to become the majority. In the next election, they won't have 14, 15 seats. They're going to have 30 seats. Because you know how you do. You take 120 seats in the Knesset. You take the amount of citizens that are uh, 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 are able to vote. You see how many people, and you divide it to a cake of 120 slices. And that's how you dictate how much a a mandate will be have 120 mandates. So if, if you have uh, 1.2 million people and you have 120, each one will be 10,000, right? But if you have uh, 7 million, then it becomes 40-something thousand each mandate. So when uh, the, the, the citizen will go down from 7 million to 6 million, so 1 million... It's basically 10,000 less for men, that, so it's gonna go, the Arabs will take a much bigger piece. On my way, uh, they, uh, they published an article that the Hezbollah is flooding Israel with weapons. They give weapon to all Israeli citizens, not Hamas, not Jihad, not Muslim Brothers, Israeli citizens who are born in Israel, go to the university, living in the same building with you in Yafo, in Lod, in Ramle, in Akko, in Jerusalem. They live in many different cities in Israel, just like here, living here in Queens, living in Brooklyn, same building like you live. You go to Rigo Park, there's buildings there. Many, many uh, residents, there are Muslims. Here, for whatever reason, they don't act so much as terrorists. Here and there you find out that they do a terror act. There are more crazy American lunatics here that actually kill Americans than Arabs. Like the one in Milwaukee. Why would a person drive into miserable people in their 60s, 70s? People who march, whatever it was. I don't know why they start celebrating Christmas a month before. Why did they have a Christmas celebration in November? I thought it's supposed to be around December 24th, no? They, I guess, missed it from last year quarantine. So they want to catch up. Yeah. So, someone actually sent me a, a logo of a, an app called Christmas. There is such a thing. Someone named this business Christmas. Anyway, so these poor people were walking there and he comes and drives into them, killing five and injured many. What can, What in the world goes to the mind of a person to do such a thing? And it's not that you have an enemy that you want to take revenge against. Just coming to kill people for fun, for what? Has to be a crazy person. Has to be someone who escaped from a mental institution, that demons are talking to him. You know, these people, I hear voices, I hear this. It has to be one of those. Otherwise, I don't understand why. Sometimes it's someone that is angry at his life, angry at the world, angry at the authorities, angry at his future, angry at everything. So he doesn't know who to take the frustration on, so he goes and begins to shoot and kill people. That also happens. So anyway, now, Rabotai, it's a huge problem, very big problem. Very, very big problem, because for every Jewish family that would leave Israel and come to America, immediately an Arab family will buy that property. They come with cash, a lot of them are drug dealers, lots of them are in building, in construction, they make glass, they make bricks, they make cement, they, they have big businesses, they drive Ferraris in Israel, expensive Mercedes, they don't pay taxes, there's no authorities by them, they don't need certificate of occupancy, they don't need permit to build. they don't need the architect to submit anything to the town to, to approve, they do whatever they want, it's the Wild West there, whatever they want. They don't need any permission from the Israeli government, they laugh in their face, The rules does not apply to them at all. Imagine here in New York, you had, uh, I don't know, Chinese, let's say. Let's choose Chinese or Indian, whatever. I don't know how many. Million, half a million. So they announced to the government, we do not see ourselves as a part of the state of New York. Therefore, the laws of New York state does not apply to us. We will do whatever we want, we will build anywhere we want. We will, uh, will occupy the, uh, apartments and houses as much as we want with permit, with smoke detector, without smoke detectors. No one will tell us what to do. We will make parkings anywhere we want. We will make as many floors as we want. We don't care about the zoning and we don't care about anything. And we will sell drugs and we will have prostitution places and we don't pay taxes. No income tax, no sales tax. No federal tax. Face it. That's what's going to be. You mess with us, we burn New York. We'll make riots. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Chinese are not violent people. They're not going to do it. Israelis also are not violent. Most citizens are puppets. They do nothing. But those Arabs are very violent. Every day at least one Arab gets murdered by an Arab, by gunshots in Israel. Every day. From the beginning of the year until now, 150 cases of murder. They murder each other. They murder their own cousin, the neighbor, the partner. They come and shoot. They shoot women. Just one teacher. A woman teacher with a hijab. They shot her yesterday. She didn't die. Why would you shoot a teacher? One option, you don't like what she was teaching. Maybe she taught something against Islam or against Muhammad. There could be one option. Second, something romantic. Maybe she didn't want some Mustafa. And this Mustafa got angry that she chose Ahmed instead of him. And he came and shot her. That's how they settle things in their society. It could be something else. It could be that, uh, you know, some financial issue. Maybe she took a loan from someone, she doesn't pay. Who knows? Only Hashem knows. I don't know the details. But that's now what's going on. That's what's going to be. I'm very scared, to be honest with you, from this decision. I'm surprised the United States were so foolish to allow Israelis to come here. I mean, Europeans, they don't come to stay here that often. They come, they, they have a tour, and they go back to their countries. They're okay with where they are. Germany, France. I don't think that there's so much immigration, meaning illegal immigration from Europe to here. Because what's the difference? Here, Europe, same style. And Israel has always been the dream of every Israeli to move to America. Even though today I don't understand for what. The only, the only reason that is what I told you to send, to be a salesman and make money, you know? In the old days, the Israeli came to be here car service drivers and movers, all the moving company. I don't know if today they're still in that business. I know today they do tow trucks, they do uh, locksmiths, a lot of locksmiths, Uh, just like by the Bukharians, you have a lot of barbers and a lot of pharmacists and a lot of gold traders, buying and selling gold. Why all of a sudden there are so many Bukharians in this thing? One brings his friend, family, brother. Now they're also going to cash advance. Why? One thing brings the other, just like, you know, everyone helps his own people, cousins, friends, neighbors, fathers. So that's the way it is. The Israeli one brings a friend. One friend came, he found a job in Lakshmi, they need more people, he called his friend in Israel. And until now he couldn't come, because he had to go through hell to get a visa. By the way, with the corona, it became 100 times harder. If you apply a year, it takes until they even reply to you, to come to an interview. There was no chance to come here. Maybe that's the reasons that the United States realized that because of Corona, they cannot handle so many applications. So let's give the Israeli status of Europeans. And the Israeli fools, they are so happy, the, the politicians. Yes, now everyone will be able to come to America f- without a visa. What are you so happy? Your country is going to be destroyed in two, three years. Nobody would be left there. Terrible. Terrible development. Let's talk about some Torah stuff. We read in Shabbat, Parashat Vaishlach and we have a very big question to ask. Yaakov Avinu is in such a high level spiritually that he has angels angels following him and servicing him and getting instructions from him. It's a verse in the Torah. If someone will come to you today and say, oh, you know, I have an angel, he's speaking to me. What's his name? Eliyahu Navi?, ah, Yeah, right. I have an appointment for you with Dr. Eisenberg. Well, who is Dr. psychiatrist. Let, let him check you out. What is this? You see an angel? Someone will come and say that he has an name. By the way, the Ramchal, 250 years ago, he had an angel speaking to him. Magid. Rabbi Yosef Karo, 500 years ago, he had an angel speaking to him. The Gaon Mivilna, 250 years ago, angels were begging him to teach him all the secrets of the Torah. Things that nobody in the world knows. And he said, I'm going to get there on my own. Don't want angels to give me the, the, the secrets as a gift. So there are, here and there, some very holy people that had uh, what do you call it? revelation, revelation of an angel. But uh, if somebody will come in our generation today and tell you, I have an angel in such a filthy world, right away you know he's a psycho. You know, you know right away. So here it's a verse in the Torah, they cannot argue. That's Hashem testified that Yaakov has angels, and Yaakov sent the angels to... Prepare the meeting with Esav. Now Esav is coming with 400 mercenaries. Murderers on on his payroll. Esav, he has an army. Someone who works with 400 killers, obviously, is not exactly a positive person. Either he's head of a cartel, head of a mafia, uh, some kind of security unit of some dictator, who works with 400 uh, gunmen. In the old days, it was a uh, bone and arrow or, or knives. But obviously, you get the point. Yaakov didn't need to go with 400 bodyguards. If you have so many people with you, that obviously, you're a very dangerous person. I don't have to tell you how scary is the meaning. Right? So, Yaakov is organizing his family. He divides them to groups. Right? <laughs> Zilpa and Bilhah, they are the concubines. They're not the official wives of Yaakov. Rachel and Leah, they are the wives. Each one of them had a slave, a maid. So with the maid, he also had children. Meaning, if they made the maids, is Pelagesh. Pelagesh means concubines. So there are four mothers, four mothers. They are mothers of the Jewish nation. But the children that came out of the maids, they suffered some abuse from the other children. Ah, you're not in the same level like us. We are the children of Leah. You're not like us. So Yaakov is putting the children of the maids first, meaning when Esav comes, they will be in the front, front row. Then Leah and her children, right, behind. And then Rachel and Yosef, behind. Right away, what, what thought comes to your mind? What? We have a saying in Hebrew. It came from this verse. "Acharon, You heard that verse? It's an expression. Acharon acharon khaviv. The last one is more likable. Who say? Maybe the first one is more. It came from this Pasuk. Yaakov organized it from the one he loved the most. He put them as far as possible in the end. From here we learn Acharon Acharon Khaviv. You want to hide them as much as possible. But I want to ask you a question. Is it possible such a thing that such a righteous man will have uh, four wives and he obviously loved them in a certain order, Rachel, the highest, then Leah, then the maids. So because he doesn't love the wives equally, so according to how much he loves them, that's how he will organize the children. What the children has to, to do with who you love and who you don't love? If a man uh, got married to a woman and had few children with her, and then he got remarried to another woman and had a few children with her. And they got divorced in a peaceful way. They're still friends, everything is okay. He still loved the kids from the first marriage. Why would he want to sacrifice the ones that he doesn't love as much, meaning the mother, why he would actually put the... Maybe you think, of course he loves them, but he has to obviously put someone in a, in a fund. So, you're thinking, God forbid, something will happen to them, who's going to be sitting and crying? The maids. I don't want Rachel to sit and cry for months, or Leah. If anyone has to do it, it might as well be them. That's hard call. Let's really see if we are actually understanding what's happening here. So, it's very, very strange, obviously. Rav Shach. Rav Shach, Vecher Tzadik livracha. People used to come to him a lot with sufferings. He was the address of all the miserable people. Or they used to send him a lot of letters. And remember, there was no emails back then. So he actually got actual emails, uh, actual mail. So Rav Shach always gave the same answer overall besides the specific questions they ask, what kind of encouragement he gave them, he said to them, the suffering has endless value. Do not give up on them. Meaning, not only on our allowed to complain. Don't ask Hashem to take away the suffering. Enjoy it. Take it. It's gonna pay off big time. You know the mashallah I once told you about the the Jew that was walking in the forest and some Antisemite guy attacked him in the middle and started to hit him with a stick and as he's breaking his bones. The king showed up with all his soldiers. And the king saw it. What are you doing? He said, as ah, a Jew, I'm beating him up. Arrest him. It was a nice king. He arrested that Nazi. And the Jew now is all wounded, bleeding, they took both of them to the palace. The Jew to the doctor of the king and the guy to the cage. After a week or two when the Jew felt better and they took care of him, now they make a trial. So he asked the guy, how many times do you think you hit the Jew? Now he is afraid to lie, because he doesn't know how long the king was there. Maybe the king saw it from the beginning. He cannot say five times if he was a hundred times. He's afraid. To lie to the king is dead sentence. So he told him approximately a hundred times. I don't know exactly, but it was a problem. He said, okay, is it true? He asked the Jew. The Jew said, yes, probably. He said, I want you to pay him a thousand rubal for every time you hit him. So you have until tomorrow to submit to the Jew 100,000 rubbal, it was fortunate. Or you're going to get the death penalty. You have him a day, two, a week, doesn't matter. Now the go, you say, okay, your majesty, I will do that. And the Jew started to cry. Oh, what happened? What happened? Oh, why I'm not a fair judge? No, you're a great king, you're a great righteous judge. This country is lucky to have such a king. So what's the problem? Why are you crying? While he was eating me, I grabbed the stick and I fought him so bad. If I only knew that every shot he gives me will bring me a thousand rubles, I would help him to go faster. I would not hold the stick. I prevented more than a hundred shots. But I never know that I'm going to get so many. This mashal, this parable, is really one of the main principles in life. It's not just a story. This is one solid, very solid rule by Hashem. The Torah is full of examples of this. One, uh, one, uh, One proof for suffering is... The greatest people in history suffer the most. Who suffered more, Yaakov or Paro? Yaakov. Who was more righteous, Yaakov or Paro? Billion Paro is not the toenail of uh, uh, of Yaakov, and he is a king and he has power. And even in the end, when his country was destroyed, he remained. Yaakov, his son, was kidnapped. His daughter was raped. So his brother coming to kill him now. He had to leave his parents, go away. Lavan took advantage on him 20 years. 20 years working for a crook. And many other problems he had in life. Avraham had problems. Ishmael, his son, became a wild beast. Idol worshipper, murderer. Had to throw him out of the house. He had to go to war his life was not a picnic. They blocked the wealthy dog, they, they hurt his business. He, you know, he had problems, Avram. 75 years, he could not have kids. 75 years, you know what it is? Sarah, 75 years, she's married, she's barren. Today, a couple get married four or five months. The girl is not pregnant, the rabbi gets a call. Abba, we was so nervous. Well, my daughter is married five months and she's not pregnant yet. What is going on? That's the way it is today. No no patience for anything. No one has patience. 75 years. I don't have to tell you the suffering of a couple that married 75 years and do not have even one child. I don't have to tell you that. Especially when they see all the idol worshippers around them have kids, you know, one after the other like fish. Three in a shot, two in one shot, one, another one. All the rishaim. I never forget many years ago there was a lecture by one speaker and one woman got up. She wasn't covering her hair. Married woman. So she said to the speaker, every Arab around here I have 12 kids, 11, 17, 15, all these murderers. And I, a traditional Jew, I keep Shabbat, I eat kosher, I doven every day, and I cannot have one? So I told her, would you agree to cover your hair? If you give me a blessing that I'm going to have kids, yes. Okay, so you accept and you to cover the the, the hair. I'm going to give you a blessing and everybody here will scream Amen and it's like Hashem. Nine months later, she had a child. So who knows? Maybe it's because of that. Maybe Hashem already wanted to give her a child and he made it look like, thanks to the Kisui Rosh, it's going to be Hashem has his calculation. But the idea behind is that the wicked people in the Torah, Nimrod, Paro, Esav, they had the life. And Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Yosef, they all suffered. Yosef, 12 years in prison. 12 years in prison, can never see his family, who knows what's going to be with him now. Imagine what a nightmare these 12 years were. So what do you see? What the Gemara say? Eta Yoav HaShem... The best cleaning, cleansing for your soul is suffering in one condition that you don't complain. Problem today, almost everybody suffers. Jews, non-Jews, everyone suffers. Life is full of suffering. Most of the mental suffering. What's the difference between physical suffering and mental suffering? Physical suffering comes and go. You may suffer, you broke something, two months later it's going to go away. Sometimes physical suffering brings also mental suffering. That you, you, you're stuck in a house, you cannot climb the stairs, you're three months at home, like the corona. You're in quarantine, you're not allowed to go anywhere, you're afraid, you have heart condition, you're locked in uh, six months in a room and you become crazy. Mentally. What happens? But mental issues, mental issues can be only in your imagination. Meaning you don't really have any problem. But you convince yourself you have a problem. You convince yourself. For instance, you only have $10 million and your brother has 50 That's already a mental condition. If you're a jealous person, And you see that his house is three times bigger than yours, and your wife is so disappointed about it that she married you and not him, then what? You have a mental condition. Every day you stress because of that. Every day of your life competition, problem, frustration, disappointment. When everyone around you builds something new, you suffer. When someone buys in your neighborhood a nice car, you suffer. When someone makes a fancy wedding, you suffer. When someone's video came out better in a wedding than your wedding, you suffer. When someone has a nicer watch than you and you get compliments in a room and nobody pays attention to your stupid watch, you suffer. Everything you suffer. Do you have one reason to suffer? None. And every day of your life it's pure suffering. People can bring suffering on themselves because of lack of emunah, or stupidity, you know, ignorance. Remember I told you about the watch Richard Mill, 270,000? Someone sent me yesterday a picture of a much uglier Richard Mill. The other one had at least Mickey Mouse on it. This one looked like uh, some kind of a mechanical machine. I wouldn't. I would not agree to walk with a watch like this for free. Guess what's the price of it? Three point three million. And plus, how much the shipping? Twenty nine ninety nine. That's what made me laugh. <laughs> Who ships such a watch? How do you dare to ship such a watch? You know, half of the mail I ship doesn't arrive. You know how many packages we send with books and things? I don't want to say half, but at least 20% don't arrive. Rabbi, a month ago I made an order, we didn't get we have to send again again. What are we going to do? The, the US mail is a disaster. Disaster. Not much disaster. So, how are you going to dare to ship such a watch, $3.3 million? Paying 29.99. Imagine the, the postman will know what he's shipping. He will be curious to check what's inside and Google it. Look at the papers of the watch, put it in Google and see that it's more than what he's going to make working, delivering mail for the next 30 years. Or 40, 50 years, 100 years. He would grab it and run back to Puerto Rico right away. Or to the Dominican, or to Mexico, or to Germany, who knows where. Where he came from. Every American has roots somewhere. His parents, grandparents. Run back to Italy, or to Israel. Postman. Why does he ever have to work? How crazy he gets. 3.3 million. For what? Excuse my language. In my opinion, someone that will actually buy it is a criminal. There's no other words I can find for him. Not only stupid, criminal. In a world that there are so many miserable people who cannot put a piece of bread on their children's table, to go and burn so much money on this instead of helping all your relatives and friends that are miserable and suffer, what kind of a heart you have. You see, I'm not complaining if someone buys a nice Lexus, let's say. That's a nice fancy car, but... He enjoys it. He drives a lot. He wants to feel comfortable. He doesn't want to be tired. Plus, he wants to do show-off. That part is bad. But everything else, it's okay. You want a reliable car to drive, comfortable, good trucks. So to come to say that someone that buys a Lexus is a criminal, it's a big exaggeration, obviously. But to buy such a watch it's a pure crime, even if you're Saudi sheikh. Even if you have a billion dollar cash. Why don't you give to the poor? He may say, I give to the poor. So give this also to the poor. Three more million people. You know in Argentina, you know how many families they live the whole month for two hundred dollars a month salary. Two hundred dollars a month. Two hundred dollars a month a pair of shoes here cost more. Any store you go, buy men's shoes, women's shoes, more than two hundred bucks. The inflation here is crazy. All prices go up. A car that we leased for $380 40 months ago now is $640. In four years, from $380 to $640. Basically, almost double. 90% increase. How much inflation is that? 20-something percent a year. This is cars. I have a friend, he's importing from China. He told me, I used to pay $1,000 per container. Do you know how much they want now? 17000 For the same container. What am I going to do? I, ha- I have to take the amount of products in a container take the extra 16,000 divide it to all the products and brings it up and what happens if you don't have expensive product okay, if you have diamonds inside oh, it's a big deal, so the diamond will cost five dollars more each but what happens if you bring food I don't know, flour, sugar things that are cheap, they weigh a the lot you didn't care a thousand dollars for a container and, uh, and we're going to sell all the sugar or sell all the rice but now it's going to be $10 a bag extra. $16,000 divided by how many items you have each bag of flour instead of $17 in the store. It's going to be 30 now. It's affect the poor people. We will see why Hashem is doing it. We will understand that eventually. All right, so going back to here. We have that question to ask. So Rav Shach used to send the miserable people this comfort leather, don't give up on a suffering. It's the most precious thing you have in life. Right? One time, Rav Kanievsky, Gdolador, and the son of Gdolador, his father was the stipler, Rabbi Yaakov Kanievsky. Rav Kanievsky said to his people, to his family, that there was a case that the stipler gave a smack to a kid that acted very wild next to him. Oh, we gave him a smack. Back then it was legal to give smack. No one made a big deal, nobody called 911, and nobody went to the newspaper to say that he was abused for a smack. Right? The world understood that sometimes a kid needs a smack. Today if you give someone a smack, that will be the end of you and him. He will rebel against you even more. Because we are now in a generation that called the Chutzpatisge, the final generation, the Gemara say, Everyone will be arrogant, full of ego, full of chutzpah, full of revenge. Let's see you give your son a smack and see what's going to happen. Don't be surprised if two months later he's going to become a drug addict. Or he will run to the street and live with a gang just because he doesn't want to surrender to you. You're going to give me a smack. I'm not going to be here. Boom. Where are you? He hang up on you. You call him all night. I'm begging you, come back home. No a different generation 30 years ago you walked, your father walked into the house everybody was alert you didn't need a smack if you got a smack it was once a year it wasn't a every minute one smack would be enough for three years for you to understand you don't mess with your father it's a different world everything is different today that's why I always tell people today you cannot give any smack to any child nothing nothing You can control your anger, Hit the wall, hit the table. Don't dare to touch. Why? Not because I'm afraid of the authorities and all that. That's also something to be afraid of. Because it's not going to help. It's going to make things worse. 30 years ago it helped. The kid would be so shocked that his father had to do such thing. It would set him right back on track. So listen to this. The stipler, the holy stipler, gave a smack to a kid. When the kid came to his father and told him, the stipler gave me a smack today, the father fainted from fear. The father said, wow, the most holy rabbi in the world gave my son a smack? That's the end of my life. If the stipler saw a need to give a smack to my son, that means he saw in his holy vision how rotten he is. And what's going to come out of him? He would never dare to touch anyone, obviously. He never heard that he gave a smack to anyone else. Who knows how horrible is my child? When Rav Chaim Kanietski saw the father of this boy, how upset he is and how he cries and goes like this, you know. He ran quickly to him and he said to him, I'll tell you a story what happened when I was a child. When I was a kid, I threw a stone and it hit the window. It wasn't just a window. It was the window of the Chazonish. (laughs) the biggest rabbi in the world at that time the Chazonish was sitting in his room and learning Torah and he got very scared from the explosion he came out of the house he looked at me he came to me and gave me a smack when the Chazonish saw his sister meaning who is the sister of the Chazonish the mother of Rav Chaim Kanievsky. That means the Chazonish was his uncle. His uncle gave him a smack. When the Chazonish saw his sister, he told her, you should know I never in my life ever smacked a kid. That was the first time I ever done such thing. So she fainted. She fell, crying. Wow, that means... That is so horrible that you had to come and give him a smack from all the kids in the world. She thought if the Chazonish gave her son such a smack, who knows what's going to come out of him. Rav Chaim said, I want to tell you something. If you want to ask how I became Rav Chaim Kanievsky, the answer is thanks to this smack. I would not be who I am today without the smack I got from the chazonish. So I'm telling you, don't you worry about your son. He will be a big Talmud Chacham, B'ezrat Hashem. And what came out of this boy? A huge Talmud Chacham. Imagine if someone get a smack from Hashem. Now we just brag how lucky you are to get a smack from the stipler of the chazonish It made you righteous for the rest of your life from now on. Imagine Hashem gives you a smack, take away your money, chaz Shalom does something uh, that shake you up for, for weeks. It's much more precious than a smack from the chazonish, no? don't you think? If you understand that. If you don't complain about it, that's really a treasure. That's called suffering. Yisurim. You understand, Rabotai? From all the children of Yaakov, how did he set them up? With the ones that have the highest merit will be in the front because they have special protection, not because he loves them less. Why the children of Zilpah and Bila, the maids, have higher merits than the children of Leah? Why? Because they suffer every day of their life when everybody makes fun of them. You are a second-class kid, second-class citizen, right? Because you're not from the original sisters. You're from the maid of the sisters. Don't everything you're equal. You know how kids are. They have horrible mouths sometimes. So because they got insulted every day, their special shield protection was growing every day in Shamayim. Why a widow has a special protection from Hashem? Or an orphan? Why? Why, if you mess with a widow and an orphan, the chance that you're going to get hit by Hashem is ten times greater or more? Why is it? Because of their misery. Not because of their beautiful eyes. Not because they have money or don't have money. Because of the absence of the father in the house caused them to suffer nonstop. Suffering creates protection why Leah had six boys and Rachel still did not have one? It was supposed to be three, 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 and three. Four wives, three out of each. Why six came to to Leah? Why? It's a clear verse. Hashem kisnuah Leah. Hashem saw that Leah compared to Rachel is hated. Now that she was hated, Yaakov loved her. It's a verse. But Yaakov also loved her. But compared to Rachel, it looked like he doesn't care about her. Compared to Rachel, he gives all his love and attention to Rachel. That's the one he was in love with. So, because Leah suffered mentally, Hashem wanted to cheer her up and gave her extra three kids. It wasn't the plan. That wasn't the plan. Hashem actually changed his original plan to cheer a suffering woman up. Do you understand that? That's why some big rabbis, when they saw a Holocaust survivor, even was not so religious, it wasn't a rabbi or a talmid chacham or learning all day Torah, barely religious. They went to ask him for a bracha. What kind of a bracha you can get from an ignorant Holocaust survivors who barely know how to learn gemara even? The answer, the gemara would not make the bracha. The torture that they went through, that's what they're going to make the bracha works. Rav Shlomo Zalman used to go to the graves of these people, the graves of, of soldiers who died, and Holocaust uh, survivors to pray over there. Why? For that to go through. Mm-hmm. Rashi writes, Misha you echav mevazin "'mezalzelim "'likrotam avadim, you are a children of a maid, "'so you are a slave, you're not like us. Each one of us is a prince. We are the children of Yaakov, grandchildren of Yitzchak, and great-grandchildren of Abraham. Who are you? You are the children of the maid, grandchildren of Lavan. Big problem. Kids, big mouth. Because those kids were suffering more than the brothers, they have high merit. Yaakov saw that it's better to put them in a front as a shield. After what they suffered, Hashem won't make them get hurt. And if they're gonna be the wall that protects us, let it be. That's really the secret here. Yosef had less merit than all the kids. Why? That's why I put him in the end. Why? Why Yosef had less merit? Because he was the loved one. The spoiled one. His father made him a special outfit. Kutonet pasim. Learned with him Hevruta. Everyone was jealous with him. That's the kid that everyone wanted to be. What kind of merit he has. He didn't suffer a day of his life until that horrible day that they threw into the pit. Abotai, this is, what I'm telling you now applies to each one of you here. I didn't come to teach you history. That's every day of your life, when you have to make decision. You have to see which one of your kids suffered more than the other. He was born with a sickness, and this one wasn't. This is this is da Torah. When you go to ask a chacham, you have to bring it up. Oh, this boy suffered a lot more than this one, and this chacham has to know these things, because you can see that it can change the verdict. The ruling, completely. The children of Leah, they got good treatment. Nobody put them down. You know? So Yaakov put them in the middle. Acharon, Acharon, Chaviv doesn't come to say that Yaakov prepared the last ones. Prefer. No. What is was, Chaviv means he was Khaviv before and that's why he did not suffer. That's what it means Chaviv, likable. Because when people like you, they treat you nice and you don't suffer. When people don't like you, every day of your life is a torture. How many people and kids went off the derch because they came with the, with the excuse, my father hates me or my parents hate me. And that's what made them become drug addicts. Oh, you really care? That's why they did crazy things. That's why they have crazy haircuts. That's why they make tattoos. That's why they make strange, all kinds of, they wear ripped clothes and horrible things they do. Why? To get negative attention. I cannot get positive attention. I might as well get negative attention. a <sighs> vast. Who are all these big camps that you have? But who are all these people? Remember, how many years passed? 34 years. 34 years. See, Yaakov left the house and he went to learn 14 years in Yeshiva of Shem and Yeshiva of Ever. Then 20 years he was by Lavan. So at least 34 years passed, maybe a few more months on the traveling. Even thirty-five years, thirty-five years later, now we see all these children. So Rashi says that Yaakov was convinced that even if Esav will attack them, not everybody will die. That's why he made space between them, meaning they will have time to run. Everyone will run to different direction. He's gonna target one. Why? Who told you that? He has 400 men with him. And you already know it because you send him an angel. So it's not a surprise. You don't think that Esav would show up with five people. He showed up with an army. So what's the problem for Esav to divide them? 150 run here, 150 run there, and 100 run there? all To all three directions. The answer is, Yaakov is a strong warrior. Very strong. He can kill Esav. He's stronger than Esav. How do we know it? Yaakov was always afraid that if he will have a fight with Esav, he will have to kill his own brother. That was his bigger fear. How do we know that Yaakov was strong? The rock. Twelve shepherds could not move the rock. Yaakov moved it one, two, three. That means he was strong, like twelve people at least. How many people can move a rock? I told you the story that I had with the Arab in Israel. I tried to pick up one Jerusalem stone brick. This is about two inches thick, about uh, maybe 20 inches long, or 25, and about 10 inches wide. Let's say 30, 10, and 2 inches thick. That's it. You know what? Like two books. Two books like this, but brick, but stone. One! It's like 15, 20 pounds. Very heavy. It's like picking up watermelon. Heavy! I I picked up one, wanted to go for like 10 steps, I already felt my back starting to hurt. This Ahmed came, Put four, one on top of the other, and pick them up like, the, like a glass of water, like a, like a bottle of water. And talk and smile and walk with that like it's maybe lifting a book or something. The Gmaras say, They're strong like donkeys. On Ishmael. They're very strong, physically. So imagine if 12 goim could not move the rock, as strong as they are. Yaakov came and in one second he, move, he moved it. Imagine how strong he was. One punch to Esa's face, I don't have to tell you where he would send him to. So, you want a war? I'll give you a war. I tried to avoid the war. Who is stronger? Russia or Ukraine? Russia. They're holding back from not attacking Ukraine. They're, f- they're furious. That's why everybody now worried that's going to start a war. Putin is going to send a hundred thousand Russian killers into Ukraine. Who knows what can happen? Remember what they did to the Georgians? What was that? Ten years ago, the Georgian president, for whatever reason, made some muscles. He thought he's in Queens here. Maybe, you know? (laughs) So right away, Putin told him, you know what, you're going to regret that move. Three days of attack, the the Georgians say, come, come. We'll make you some hachipuri. Come, eat with us. We're sorry. Why do you tickle the bear? Imagine a little mouse comes to the bear and play games with him. I'm going to step on you and smash you. I always tell, don't wake up the bear. The bear is in the corner sleeping. Make sure he stays asleep. Don't make noise. Don't be a fool. You'll you'll regret it. Same thing I say today. Don't attract attention. It brings antisemitism. Antisemitism exists, but the goyim will become violent when you get on their nerve. Meaning as long as you hide and you're far away from their eyes, they're busy with other things. You're going to drive your fancy Bentley next to them. Don't, don't be surprised that they're going to organize an attack against you. I want to ask you, why all all big tzaddikim in the Torah, they were all shepherds? Avram was a shepherd. Yitzchak. Yaakov. Moshe Rabbeinu. David Amelech. King David. Why everybody was a shepherd? There were other jobs. You could be a tailor. You can sell precious stone. You can, uh, you can be a farmer. You can have a field. Most people were farmers. Selling fruits and vegetables. That was the main business. Right? You don't have to be such a genius. You just have to know how to plow the ground, put some seeds, and, and that's it. And sell. You learn the job in one hour. Why they wanted to be shepherds? Because that's the best job and gives you plenty of time to learn Torah and to pray. You're free. You take the sheep to the mountain. Yalla, udrup. Eat as much as you want. All day they eat. They're happy, like a baby. You give him candy. Two hours is quiet. Right? While he's quiet, you can read you can learn Torah. Or you put him to sleep, oh, now I have a whole time to finish the whole tailing. So the idea is you put the sheep somewhere in the mountain, and now you sit on a rock, and daven or learn Torah. That's what happened. If you are a farmer, you know how many hours a day you have to walk? Plow the ground, put the seeds, give water, wait until it grows, trim it, cut it, take it out of the plant. Get rid of the shell, dash. You have to bring the animals to step on the shell, clean it from the shell, grind it, make flour, and so much work. Baker, plenty of work. Farmer, plenty of work. Tailor, plenty of work. Selling precious stone, plenty of work. Get around, find customers, go on market. Shepherd, no job, no work. Here, walk around. And if you have a good dog, and he's trained, like all shepherds have. Even today, the Arabs, the Bedouins, in Be'er Sheva, you see, they have always this little dog. And he runs around. His job is to keep them in a group. Right? That nobody should go shopping. <laughs> if somebody moves, the dog comes. Wow, wow, He comes right back. And he enjoys Mustafa seats like this, smoke Nargila. But Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Moshe, and David, they wanted time to learn Torah. That's why they were all shepherds. <laughs> so Esav is asking a question. What's the question? Once Esav saw Yaakov, he ran quickly towards Yaakov. Va'yipol al tsavarav, va'yishakehu. He kissed him and cried the Midrash said that he tried to bite him. And he saw that his neck was very, very strong, stiff, like a marble. <laughs> then Esav see the kids and he asked, who are all these kids? And Yaakov said, they came to find favors in your eyes, my master. What? Calling him Adoni? When Esav hears, what does he answer? Yesh li rav. I have a lot of my own. Whatever is yours should be yours. Why are you giving me all all this gift? Now remember, everything that Yaakov gave Esav, all the animals that he gave him, were all defected. All of them had birth defects, which you cannot slaughter them, and they're not kosher, and you could not sacrifice them, since Esav eats everything. And I cannot eat it. I might as well give it to him and save my life. Why not? kill, kill two birds with one stone. So now we have to understand what's happening here. 34 years, Esav is angry at Yaakov. He called the places where he is based on the event. Merivah, this, all these places, based on what Yaakov did to him. So obviously he's holding a grout. Besides the blessing, Esav is upset that he took away the Bechorah from him. How old was Esav? How old were they when Yaakov tricked him with the soup? 15. Very good. Fifteen. Fifteen. How many years went from the Bechora to getting the blessing? Huh? Forty-eight years. Forty-eight years. Almost fifty. Right? So they were sixty-three years old. The day that Yaakov came and Yitzchak gave him the blessing. How many years passed from then? 67 plus 34 is how much? 101. So, this meeting is taking place now when they're already old people. 101. It's true. People lived back then 180, 200 or more. So, like, double than today. So, 101 is like 50, let's say. Okay? It's still. So now, finally, Esav prepared for that day for so many years. He hired 400 mercenaries, gave them Kalachnikov, Uzi, M-16, rockets, grenades, everything. They're all coming now, tanks, showing up, RPGs. They all showed up and they watched the show how their general, Saddam Hussein, ran to Ag Yaakov after he trained them for so many years for that moment. Do you understand what happened here? Do you understand or no? Very interesting. The Midrash says Rashi brings the Midrash that that night Yaakov had the big fight with the angel of Esav the minister of Esav Esav and his people also did not sleep that night so Yaakov was up and Esav was up angels came to the camp of Esav and started to hit them boom, boom hey, Boom! Hey, what's going on here they all get beaten up. I don't have to tell you that if Hashem sends an angel to hit someone, it's probably going to be at least as bad as Mike Tyson. <laughs> right? Who do you think can hit better? An angel of Hashem or this gorilla? Who hits better? So I don't have to tell you how crushed they were from the punches they got. Who are you? The angels asked. They said, "We are the soldiers of Yitzhav." <laughs> they started to scream, "Leave us alone!" Do you know who is Yitzhav? He is a son of Yitzchak, the grandson of Abraham. You should appreciate. <laughs> The angels continue to beat them up. They try, to, they try to convince the angels who they are. Why are you beating us up? We are protecting the prince. Asa. The angel says, oh, excuse us. So you belong to the good camp, to the good side. Okay, for, forgive us, it was a mistake. Forgive us, it was a mistake. And they turned around and left. In the middle of the night comes the minister of Isav and he is attacking Yaakov. And what happened? Yaakov fights with him all day, all night. Until the sun started to rise. The Sefer Achinuch, one of G'dolei rishonim, it was uh, over 800 years ago. He writes that thanks to this fight, we have a mitzvah of Gida Nashi, the ligament. In the back of the animal, there's a special ligament. The Ashkenazim, they don't eat the back of the animal. They don't want to take risks. Why? Because you have to remove this ligament and it's connected to the bones and to the meat in such a way that those who slaughter animals and clean it, they know it's difficult to clean it completely. And if you eat that ligament, it's Yisur Karet. It's one of the 36 restrictions in the Torah that has a Karet punishment, a cut for the soul. So that's why the Ashkenazim don't wanna play with fire. So we don't eat the back of the animal, the whole back, Give it to the Goim. Whatever you do, But Sfaradim, the in their tradition, they know how to remove that ligament, and they eat the back of the animal. Why the Sfaradim don't want to give up on the back of the cow, or whatever? Why? Because they say it's the most delicious piece. All well, the fatty, the the back of the animal. You know, all this area is full of fat. So. Why do we have this mitzvah? You should not eat this legament, Gid HaNasheh, because Yaakov touched, supposedly the angel came like a man, like a human being, and fought him all night. And in the end, Yaakov, he touched Yaakov, Gid HaNasheh, he made Yaakov crippled. After this all night, the sefer say, this part in the Torah, is a big secret about what's going to happen to the children of Yaakov from the children of Esav until the end of days. That the children of Esav, this Goim, the Romans, the Greeks, the Nazis, Haman, all of them children of Esav, will never leave us alone. Never leave us alone. Who is the biggest enemies of Israel today in the world? Today. Who hates the Jews the most today in the world? Arabs. Wrong. Who causes us the Arabs hate us the most for sure, but who causes us all the problem? The Russians. Without the Russians, the Arabs do not have one gram of power. No, nothing, nothing. They would not even know how to get the oil out of their field. The refineries and all of that. Everything they have, the Russians gave them. Airplanes, weapons. Soldiers, they built for them nuclear place in Iran, in in, in other Arab countries, the Russians, everywhere. Now Israel attacking in Syria. Iranians, who shoot missiles on Israeli airplanes? The Russians. It's unbelievable how Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu and Bennett has to kiss up to Putin every time they meet with him knowing that he's the cause of all our problems, and if he will throw the Arabs away and not sell them weapons, that will be the end of them, because there's nothing they could do. All the terrorism, everything is... with Russians are always behind it. The children of Esav, the Russians, the Amalekim. But they have to kiss up to Putin and shake hands, like supposedly Putin loved Jews. What he does, is not because he loves Arabs, it's because it's good for Russian economy. They want to make billions of dollars. How are they going to feed all these Russians? Maybe it's true. But bottom line, if the Russian would be out of the picture, you would not have Iran, you would not have North Korea, you would not have such a strong China, and definitely you would not have such strong Muslims in the world. The Russians are their backup. So in the end, who is our enemy? A again! A SAV! Today a SAV, the Nazis was a SAV. Who is going to be the next SAV after the Russian? There was Germany, there was Russia. Who's next? United States. Very smart, of course. The Democratic Party becoming more and more Muslim and more radical and more anti-Israel and more anti Semite. So the United States will be the next enemy, unfortunately. I say it with sadness, but it's reality. You can see where it's going to. If you're wondering... Jews lived in, uh, in Russia for many years, and there were a lot of Jews there. Then they had to run away from there. Jews lived in Iran. They had to run away from there. Jews lived in Libya. They had to run away. They had great life there at, until a certain point. Then they have to leave everything and run away. Jews lived in Germany. I don't have to tell you what they did to them. Jews lived in Poland. They all got killed. Uh, Jews lived in Spain and Portugal 500 years ago. It's the Spanish Inquisition. They took away everything they have. They killed them, tortured them, forced them to turn to Christianity, and they had to one way. Jews lived in Babylon, the Talmud Bavli. I don't have to tell you what they did. destroyed Bet HaMikdash. Jews lived under the supervision of the Greeks, the Greek Empire. I don't have to tell you what happened there. Yeah? Soon it's Hanukkah. So no matter where the Jews live, in any empire it always ended bad. At one point, they were friends, meaning they gave them nice treatment, and then it turned into very sour relationship. They either killed them or they chased them away from the land. So don't think that because America was good to us for X amount of decades, things will remain like this forever. It's not. And it's changing very fast. Very, very fast especially if now another million Israelis will come here after February with this new order, new law, it's only going to make things much worse. Because remember, some of these salespeople are not exactly the most honest people in the world. Not that other nationalities are any more honest than them. The Arabs are cheating and the Indians are cheating, Pakistanis, everywhere you go they cheat you. The nature of human beings is a lot of them are liars and thieves. Whether they're Gentiles, whether they're sometimes Jewish. The only one who are not like that is people that are religious and have irat mind, But for real, not fake. We know there are two kinds of religious people, real and fake ones. I, I've been always warning you from the fake ones. So the Sefer HaChinuch say. All night, meaning it's dark. The entire life of the Jews in this planet will be dark. They will fight us, the children of Esav, like the angel fought our father, Yaakov. What happened to the father? happens to the children. But the sun begins to rise. There will be the salvation in the end. Once the sun came out, the angel of Esav got panicked. Let me go. Why are you holding me? I must go. The Chachamim say, where did he have to go? They have shifts. They have to sing to Hashem. I'm late to my shift. But Yaakov said, no, no, no. I'm not letting you go until you give me a blessing. What is it? What, what? And what does he say to Yaakov? He didn't give him a blessing. He said, your name will not be Jacob anymore. Your name will be Israel. That's the first time we hear the word Israel in a history, that night. Mm-hmm. Sefer HaChinuch say, the sunrise means it's going to be a happy end when Mashiach come. Mm-hmm. But we will be crippled from all the suffering, meaning many will be lost, Many, you know, suffered very much until that moment. But in the end, it's going to be the light. Like they say in America, the light in the end of the tunnel. When you walk in a long tunnel, you don't see any light. But the, when you get to the end of the tunnel, you begin to see the light. And when you come out, there's a lot of light. That's the story of this world. I want to ask you a question. Yaakov asks the angel to give him a blessing and he's going to to give him Misha Berach. Changing his name. What's the connection? To give me a blessing. What? That I should be healthy, successful, have children, that I should be stronger than Esav. That's a blessing. The angel doesn't give him a blessing. He says, your name will be Israel. Why? Because you fought with a divine entity and you won. What did I ask for? And what do you do? Imagine you come to the gabai. Of the shul, Maurice, I I need misha I didn't have a good week last week. Please give me a misha I buy aliyah. You go up to the Torah. Baruch Hu et Hashem emorach. Top. After that, you tell him give me a good bracha. Misha berach. Avot Elohim v'Amitzach v'Yakov u'Ivarachet Ploni ben Ploni v'Yikare Hashmo beYisrael. Israel, no, no more Yaakov. Hey, Ma, I didn't ask you to change my name. I asked you for blessing. What's the difference between the name Yaakov and Israel? You should also know that all other people that their name were changed, was changed permanently. Like Sarai was, became Sarah. That's it, there's no more Sarai after that. Av- Avram became Avraham. There is no more Avram after that. But here, Yaakov did not die. Meaning that name remained. Sometimes the Torah called him Israel. Sometimes the Torah called him Yaakov. How come? Israel is Yud, Shin, Resh, Aleph, Lamed. It's the four mothers and the three fathers. Yud, Yud for Yitzchak and Yaakov. uh, Sin for Sarah. Uh, Resh for Rachel and Rivka. Aleph from Abraham. And Lamed for Leah. Meaning all three fathers, and all three mothers are in the name Israel. Also, it starts with Yud, finish with Lamed. Starts with a very small letter, the smallest one, Yud, and finish with the biggest one. Meaning, the Jews start small in this world, but they go to a very good place. Start low and finish high. Also, Lamed is pointing towards heaven. It has an arrow. And Lamed is created with two letters, Chaf, and of, on top of it, there's a line, which is a Vav. Half in numeric value is 20, and Vav is 6. So that's 26, the name of God, meaning the Jews go back to where they came from, to be together with HaKelosh Baruch Also, Israel means Yashar El, that we have an honest God, faithful God, what he promised, he always keep. So you cannot go wrong. There's a lot of secrets in this name. Right. So, about I I just want to finish here. And, uh, by explaining why. So after all the nights that they beat up Esav, right? When Esav met Yaakov, he asked him, who are those angels who came to me in the middle of the night? Why did they beat beat me up like this? We suffered, me and my men, so much. Yaakov answered, to find favors in the eyes of my master, meaning you. (laughs) What's the connection? We don't understand the answer of Yaakov. Since when you want someone to like you by punching him? Huh? You send your bodyguards to someone, break his bones, boom, boom, boom. Why did you do that to me? That I want you to like me. (laughs) <laughs> now we have to understand and we'll finish here. We have to understand. The hate of Esav to Yaakov. What's the root of it? Remember, this is 3400 years already. This hatred never stopped for a second. It brought us Holocaust, pogroms, destruction of first and second temple and many other problems. So the question is, what's the root of that hatred? The answer: stealing the blessing by Yaakov. Stealing the blessing. We have to understand. Esav was really that stupid. He doesn't see that his brother Yaakov is a Talmid Shiva sitting and learning as a tzaddik, and he's the Rasha. What he does. Two brothers, one is off the derech, Mechalel Shabbat, gangster, selling drugs, walking around with a gun, full of tattoos, hair all the way up to the ceiling. And his brother, Bachur Yeshiva, Black Hat, yacht, watching his eyes, learning all day Torah, walking with Gemara all day. If you ask the criminal, who is the bigger tzaddik? You or your brother? <laughs> you crazy? Why are you normal? Why are you asking such a question? My brother is a saint compared to me. Do you know anyone who would say, I'm a bigger tzaddik than my brother? Yeah. Dr. Eisenberg is waiting, he has an appointment. <laughs> I'm a bigger tzaddik. So, what? Well, Asaf didn't know it? Asaf had a different ashkafa. Now you're going to go deep. His ideology was different than Yaakov. Asaf thought, just because Yaakov is learning Torah in a tent all day and he does not mingle and mix with people out there in a big world, he does not deserve the blessing. Why? someone that does not believe in Hashem. How, from zero to a hundred, how much credit he gives to a blessing of a big rabbi? He's an atheist. Tell him, hey, Mr. Atheist, I want to take you to Israel, to Bnei Brak. What? There's an old rabbi there, 93 years old, Rav Chaim Kanievski. Yeah, I want him to give you a blessing that he should be successful. Would he agree to come? Esav mm-hmm. was an apicorist, no? He doesn't believe in Olam He sold his firstborn status to Yaakov. Lama anyway, I'm going to die. Meaning, anyway, I'm going to die. Meaning, he doesn't believe in afterlife. Just like the apicorists in today. You live once. Chaim pa'am achad, the Israelis say. You live once, you might as well grab as much as you can. So why Esav cares so much about the blessing? If your father is the chief rabbi and you are off the derech, meaning obviously you don't care about the religion. So your brother got the blessing instead of you. Anyway, you don't believe in blessings. You're not such a spiritual tzaddik. So why are you so angry? Esav thought learning Torah does not help anything. It's a waste of time, just like the Chilonim today in Israel. Parasite! What are you learning all day? What's going to come out of it? Why do we need people like you here? You're not productive. Go to university, become doctors, lawyers, engineers, go to the army, be fighter, protect the land. Come to sport, live the life, stop dressing like 2,000 years ago. Enough all day with these books. What is it going to give you? That's how they talk. This ideology did not start today. It was in the time of the Greeks. 2000, 2400 years ago. And they saw 3400 years ago. It was in the time of Nimrod. It was even 100 years earlier. Nothing new under the sun. yes yes close yes they had names for them what is that bench pressures meaning put pressure on a bench you sit all day parasites you don't help anything right therefore according to this ideology right According to this ideology, stealing the blessing by Yaakov is a big trick. He did not think that Yaakov deserved the brachot because he's not productive. He's not helping the world. I help the world. I'm around. I do things. Did he really want the brachot? No. He just didn't like the idea that his brother gave the brachot to Yaakov now to make him even a bigger parasite. He's going to sit all day and do nothing. That's how they look at it. They don't understand that thanks to the learners of the Torah they're alive. Thanks to them they breathe. Thanks to them you have food to eat. The Gemara, the Gemara say, the whole world, Hashem announced. The whole world is eating thanks to the merit of my son Han- Hanina Ben Dosa. And he is comfortable eating carobs all week and drinking water. He doesn't even enjoy the wealth of the world. One one righteous Jew. One. We've seen what Hashem said to Avram: If there will be ten righteous people in Sodom, millions will not die thanks to them. So you see that the existence of righteous people in the area protects even the wicked. Protect them from death. Needless to say, give them food and oxygen. Protect them from dying. But I don't appreciate it. Everything was good until the last night. Before he went to meet Yaakov, Esav came with 400 mercenaries, and a moment before the meeting, a moment before the meeting, now he's finally going to give his brother what he deserves, right? He gets punches from the angels, boom, 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 all of them, put them down on their knees. He doesn't know who they are. Only in the end the angel said, Oh, you're the brother of Yaakov. Oh, we're so sorry. We should have not hit you. We didn't know you're the brother of Yaakov. Ah, Yaakov is so important. We would never dare to hit you because you're the brother of Yaakov. That's when he realized his entire life was a mistake. His entire ideology. Wow, I thought Bachorah not, shiva they're not helpful. They're not productive. Now I see the only reason I'm not dead now is thanks to my brother righteousness. So he really deserved the blessing. How can I go and kill him now? How can I go and kill him now? It shook him up. I'm told I was wrong my entire life, 63 years old. But now they are 100 and what is it now? 101 years old. So all his life, 100 years of of mistake. He thought there's no value to learners of Torah, and now he just found out how wrong he is. From the minute he meets Yaakov, he kisses him. And he does everything he can to stay with him. But Yaakov has his own ashkafa, his own ideology. A righteous that connect to the wicked fall into the curse of the wicked. Oy Oy to the wicked and oy to his neighbor who connected with him. What do you got to be his neighbor? You live in the same place. You couldn't find another place to live. When he will be buried, you go down with him. So Esav is begging him, "Let's go together. Let's our children play." The cousins they finally met. Let them meet each other more. What does Yaakov say? No, the sheep they're all gonna die. They won't be able to keep up with you people with horses and this. We are slow. We move barely and the children. Meaning, get lost. I don't want to be with you another minute. When you attach to a wicked person, one hour, there is a massive impact on your life. One hour. One hour. Why do you think half of the world are drug addicts? One does drugs in front of another one, and he does. And then another one, and another one. Everybody influenced everyone. Who learned to do drugs? Someone had to teach him, no? So now you have last year in the United States. Sorry, this year in the United States. So far, how many people died from drugs? Do you know? 100,000. 100,000 died in one year from drugs the opiate pandemic. 100,000. Almost like COVID. Two years of COVID, 600,000 dead approximately. And shut down the whole world and lost tens of trillions of dollars. Destroyed the world. Destroyed America. Destroyed everything. And this pandemic, business as usual. Why didn't shut the world? Why didn't it lock people in places? Why didn't make quarantines for all these drug addicts, lock them in cages until they get out of the drugs, put an army on the street, grab them by force, putting them in places? They are a big danger to society because it's growing like a snowball. The more of them you have, the more other people join them. Unfortunately. So what are you going to do? There's no, there's no solution to this problem. One of the biggest mysteries in my mind, how did Hashem allow these drugs to be existed in this world? All these horrible drugs. I know people use them for medical reasons, but how did Hashem allow something that will destroy basically almost every family in this world? There is, no, there is no family without at least one casualty from drugs today. If it's your kids, or if it's your cousin, or if your nephew, or a good friend. So have' got the shock of his life. Wow, the entire time I look down at my brother that is sitting and learning all his life, and I'm a hero, successful, the man of the world. These religious people are old-fashioned. Iran, they're not up-to-date. They're not educated like us. They don't go to the university. They dress different. Some of them speak a different language, like Yiddish. And in the end, you just found out that not only they are better than you, thanks to them, you are alive. I can give you a hundred sources for it. Now I gave you two or three, but give you hundreds of sources that the only reason people are living is thanks to the learners of the Torah. If they would stop learning Torah, the world does not exist another minute. A minute. It's it's a it's a clear verse. You know, it's very difficult for people to change what they used to. Very difficult. How many women in the world are being beaten up by their spouse or boyfriend or husband, whatever the case is. Abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse, throwing her out, she's begging to come back, she runs away, and then she runs away back to him. Do you know, in Israel you have organizations that try to save girls from the Arabs. The Arabs gave them drugs when they were teenagers in the clubs of Haifa and Tel Aviv. They took them to the Arab village, locked them in for who knows how many years over there, and all day beat them up. And they have a bunch of kids, five, ten, fifteen, you know how it is. One day she finally gets her phone. She, all she needs is one phone call. And she calls and says, that she's locked in this address in an Arab village. And they pass the message to those organizations who have uh, former Israeli soldiers. And with the help of the Mossad and the Shabak, they go and release that woman with all her kids. Because remember, all the kids, even though they have an Arab Muslim father, they're all Jewish. And they bring her to a vacant apartment, hidden apartments in Israel that are ready for that day that one miserable Jewish girl that was abused non-stop will finally call for a rescue. And guess what? Sometimes after all of that, she wants to go back. She disappeared. All of a sudden, you come to the apartment to bring them the daily food, what happened? Miriam, or oh, they turned her into Mariam, disappeared. What happened? She called Ahmed and told him where she is and he came pick picked her up. Why would a woman go back to someone who beat her up in her stomach and pull her hair and bang her hair into the wall and abuse her and call her names? Why is it? What's going on in this world? Yes, Yes. Stockholm Syndrome even sometimes a kidnapper that kidnaps someone they have sympathy to that kidnapper go and understand the mind of the people how to understand what's happening similar to that is when someone finally discovered there is a God the Torah is divine and I live in a lie and every second of my life is a lie and they cannot change they're still gonna stay in their bad habits. Same thing, they stay in a bad relationship until their life is over. Remember, if it's a man, he's not in a rush. I can have kids when I'm 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and even 70. Problem with a woman, her time is ticking. Once she gets to 40, 42, she's done. The satan takes over her mind completely she doesn't want to leave that terrible relationship she's in. She lives with a guy, or whatever the case is or with the drug addict or someone who abuses her or doesn't appreciate her. And what happened in the end? She lose her life. By the time she will finally make the step, it'll be already too late for her. She's gonna live the rest the next 40 years lonely and alone or whatever the case be. And, and it's only that because of that. And that's what's happening, Rabotai. Happens to a lot of bad relationships like this. Sometimes they have such horrible relationship, you wonder why, they, why she continue to have kids with him. It's only going to make the situation worse. It's the other way around. Sometimes there's no kids. Sometimes why do you continue to have kids? Every kid makes the situation worse. You're going to need more child support, more this. And it's going to be harder for him to let you go. What's harder, to let her go with one kid or with three or four? He won't agree to, to give them up. It's a mess. The world is a mess. People cannot f- follow their brain. They follow their heart, especially women. They're more emotional. And the heart, many times, overcome the brain. Even though they're very smart, they have uh, wisdom. But when your wisdom and your heart collides, it's a, it's a very difficult test. Even for men, it's very difficult. But the nature of a woman is that the suffering in her heart clog her judgment. Clug her judgment. How many times the father wants to be strict and give a punishment to a bad, a bad child? And who runs for his defense? No, Moshe, please, don't do it. It's a good boy. It's going to be good. Right, Itzi? Moshe, eat me, eat me. Don't eat him. Give me the punishment. Or if the father says, no money for you this week. She comes. Itzi, come. Here, take $30, but don't tell Dad I gave it to you. Why? She doesn't sleep at night when Itzi doesn't have money for candy. She thinks she's helping him. She's destroying him. But she she knows in her mind that what she does is wrong. First, she cheat her husband. Second, she makes damage to the kid. But she cannot live with the suffering that she has. She sees the boys crying or upset. And she just goes with her heart. So Rabotay to conclude. Yaakov said to him, the children are soft, the young. the the sheep, it's gonna be difficult for me to be in the same speed like you walk. We walk slow. Esav say, you know, I understand. Okay, so he goes to his direction, and Yaakov goes to his direction. And the reason for it is Rabotai, because Yaakov know if my kids will get to know these secular kids of my brother, the way they grew up, that will be the end of them. The book of Tehillim, Psalms, starts with a verse complimenting a person who does not sit with the wicked people. Now remember, wicked is not evil. You can be a very nice person. Merciful, intelligent, honest, Soft character. Not a monster. Wicked means does not live according to the rules of the Torah. Not that he's a violent m- murderer. No. You don't have to be a murderer to be wicked. You don't have to be a big thief to be a wicked. You don't have to be a gangster or, or, or give uh, drugs to children to be wicked. You don't have to be a pedophile to be wicked. All it needs is that you don't keep Shabbat, that's it. And you're a very big, wicked person. Even though you yourself, if, if we connect you to a lie detector, you'll be sure that you're a great person. You will brag about it, how nice you are. And how everybody loves you and you have 5,000 people in your Facebook page. That's another illusion. Call each one of those 5,000 people at 2 a.m. Tell them I'm stuck on LAE close to the Hamptons. Can you come help me out? I don't know. My, my jack doesn't open the, the, the tire. I, I don't know what to do now. I need, maybe you can bring a jack with you. 2 a.m. No, oh, I'm out of town. I'm out of town. I'm sick. I have COVID. Call Moshe. Call David. Or most of them won't even pick up the phone. See, 2 a.m. Your friend called probably needs help. I'm sleeping. That reminds me of a story that happened with me. I'll tell you that story and we're done. I was in Arizona, in Phoenix, Arizona. There was one Israeli rabbi who actually was the rabbi of the Bukharians there in Phoenix back then, I don't know, 15 years ago. And he learned Russian, brilliant guy. He needed to learn Russian because some of them don't speak uh, Hebrew and he didn't know English. So he said, you know what, they speak Russian between them. I learn Russian. Learn Russian. Give them speeches in Russian. So he said to me, come to Phoenix Wednesday and Thursday, give lectures in Arizona, and then we'll drive to LA and we make a Shabbaton over there. How long it takes to get there? About six, six and a half hours driving. not the end of the world. As we drive driving to Arizona, this is Friday. I don't ask questions. I assume a rabbi of a community and a guy that is not stupid who made the proper arrangement. But you'll be surprised. Some people are not exactly organized. So an hour before Shabbat, we stuck on the 4 or 5 over there. There's always bumper to bumper there, even at 5 a.m. It's the worst highway in the world, 4 or 5, connecting to the 101. Also, a lot of traffic there, but the 4 or 5, that's it. I asked him, where are we staying? He said, we're supposed to stay by a friend of mine, but for some reason he didn't answer the phone calls today. I said to him, what? So we don't have a place to be in Shabbat. It's in an hour. Where are we going to stay? So he said to me, I, I know another guy that can have actually host us. In the area where you're supposed to speak. In a shoulder. So he called up that guy. Yaniv. Israeli secular guy. Live by himself. Complete secular. Not Shomer Shabbat. Hello, Yaniv. Yes, this is Rabbi such and such. Tell me. Sorry, I'm calling you in a short notice. (laughs) We were supposed to be Rabbi Mizrahi and myself by my friend, but I don't know where, where the friend disappeared to. So we need a place to stay for Shabbat. Is it possible we can stay by you? Because we are in the area where you are. We need to be close to the synagogues there. I don't know the guy, I never saw him, never heard from him ever before, but he said to him, yes, it's okay, you can come, if you don't have where to go, you can come. I don't know, I don't know his secular, I don't know where he lives, I don't know anything. He said, ah, you see, Hashem helps, I found us a place to be. Imagine now, what are we going to do? We arrived to the place, I see a nice big home, so... And I have probably a normal room. Then I see <laughs> he goes on the left side to the backyard. He doesn't come to the front door. I wonder to myself why he goes to the back. We, I, I follow him on the grass. I see a little room, tiny room in the back, tiny room size of the bathroom over here. S- small room like this. See nice grapefruit tree but small, tiny room. But I don't know how deep is the room, because I only see how wide it is. Maybe it's long. I don't know. Okay, no, there's still a hope. Knock on the door. Yaniv opened the door. <laughs> tiny room, one foot on bed, and a little bit room to, to throw another mattress on the floor, and that's it. That's where he lives, in the back. How are you? This, thank you for accepting us. Wait, I'm going to go to the neighbor ask to borrow a mattress to the owner of the big house. That's where he's renting that room from. So he got the um, one mattress, throw it on the floor. So now there is a double bed, futon, you know, futon, I don't have to tell you what it does to your back. And plus a mattress on the floor. I'm thinking to myself, who's going to have to sleep in the same bed with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> So, so I say to him that uh, we have only two beds. He said, don't worry. Me and the rabbi will sleep in that big bed. And you're going to have that, uh, the, mat- the, the extra mattress. So now I'm thinking to myself. If Hashem got me to come to the house of this secular Israeli guy, It cannot be coincidence. Everything in life has a deep reason. Cannot play dumb. That means my mission is, Hashem wants me to save this guy. So I know that's my mission for the Shabbat. Shabbaton, not Shabbaton. If I got to his house and he agreed to accept two rabbis when he's a secular guy, he could have said, oh, I'm not home. I'm in uh, Las Vegas. I only come back tomorrow night. Most secular people, you know what? Not most, all. If you take 100,000 secular people and half an hour before Shabbat, you surprise them, two rabbis wants to come sleep in your tiny room when there's only one bed there. I don't think 100,000 would agree. All of them would say no. I would make an excuse, of course. They don't say no, you should have told me before. They say, oh, I'm out of town. End of story, that's it. But this guy said yes. And I went and focused on him. I made him a Balchuva, tshuva. I brought him to Monsey today shiva. We got him married. He had few good children, Sadikim in yeshivot. And now he moved to Israel. In yeshiva. So you see, that's what the Gemara say, adam kone olamo birga echad. Hashem gave him an opportunity of a lifetime. It's a very big test for Chiloni, for secular, for, for, for religious person is a huge test. That he understands that it's important to host guests and to sacrifice for it. And we learned from Abraham Avinu how much he was willing to do for the guests. But what an Israeli secular guy knows about guests now? That he has to go and run and kill himself to host strangers. He doesn't, he doesn't learn Torah. But he he was such a nice person. And all I needed is to talk to him a few hours. And also I talked to him on Sunday. I had another event on Sunday in another place. And that's when I actually shook his hand and he's going to come to the yeshiva. And he did come. And the rest is history. Now between me and you, what would have happened to this guy if he would say no? No, I'm sorry. I'm most likely would either stay single or will marry a Goyas, a Mexican girl. And his children will be Goyim and that will be the end of him. Is eternity, eternity got saved from one minute test. Now you understand what does it mean one minute in life. How precious it is. One minute change his entire eternity in the future. He, him, his children, grandchildren. That's why I always tell the rich people, when you give a nice check or a nice donation, what do you think? This is not something that happened today them tomorrow, it's over. It's going to have consequences. Eternal consequences. This guy became religious. That guy, this girl, that family, this... We only see how many emails like this I get every day. Every day, every day, with not one day an exception. Every day. It's not one day in the last 20-something years that we don't get emails like this coming. That's what we get. The rest we don't even know about. How it changed the life of the people. How We had to see how many people wrote emails about me posting only one lecture instead of two now cannot even count how many emails. Some people say, no, we're waiting for those two lectures and we hope to have another one. It's not enough. But I say, okay, listen, the lectures will be posted. It's not that we don't post them. It will be posted in a weeks so that I'll be in Israel. Next Monday we will be here. And the following one, that's it. I'm going to Israel. And then coming back from Israel, going to LA, coming back from LA, going to Canada. It's a lot of trips now. So when I'm away, we're going to post those missing lectures. It's not going to a waste. There's only one problem. The current event will not be as relevant. But sometimes it's the other way around. One person listened to a lecture that I gave six years ago, and he told me, you don't understand. It took me an hour to realize that you're not talking about what's happening in the world now. Remember, there's no corona. I was talking about what's going to be. And he said to me, I cannot believe it. The entire lecture is a prophecy of what's happening in our days. This was six years ago. I only realized then when he said about something that it actually an old lecture. Why? Sometimes it's the other way around. You see how an old lecture predicted what happened this week. Of course. So we'll see Bezrat Hashem. We'll finish for, for tonight. פועב בזרעת השם מולדה ונרבית, ברוך עדונאי לעולם, אמן <אפור> ואמן, <אפור> רבי חנאי